Hello and welcome to Fintech Insider Insights. My name is David Breer and I am the group CEO here at 11FS. In today's episode, we're going to be delving into what AI can and can't do in financial services. AI is definitely not a new term in our industry, but it is definitely having a bit of a moment. From new product releases to VC investment to outright bans in some organizations, everyone is currently trying to navigate the technology and work out what it really means for everybody from fintech startups to big global banks around the world. In this show, we put together a panel of experts to discuss how is AI being used right now and what actually is its potential? What are the challenges of implementing AI in financial services? And where do humans still fit in this artificial world? We'll discuss all of this and much, much more. But first, a few brief messages. Don't go anywhere. This is Fintech Insider After Dark. We are breaking out of the studio and bringing it to the community. It's a live recording of the Fintech Insider podcast featuring your favorite hosts and big name guests. Well, thank you very much for having me back. Join us and become a certified Fintech Insider. Whether it's beers in London or pizza in New York, catch up with Fintech geeks and make new friends across the financial services ecosystem. This is packed out, right? This is standing yeah. moment. We are bringing After Dark to the Village Underground in London on the 20th of September. Click the link in the podcast description or visit 11fs.com slash afterdark. Thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Good night. A lot of you know 11FS for our chart-topping podcasts, our events, videos, reports, and a bunch of other cool stuff that we do. But what a lot of you don't know is that this is just all our side hustle. We do so much more than that. At 11FS Ventures, we're partnering with ambitious businesses around the world to design, build, and launch truly digital financial services. We are building banks, shaping new propositions, and growing existing offerings that change the fabric of financial services. And our design, research, strategy and engineering experts are working to improve your customer's relationship with money. To find out a little bit more, check us out at 11fs.com forward slash ventures. All right, let's get started. As always, I'm joined by some outstanding guests who can shed some light on the question at hand. First off, uh, it is a great welcome return to Nick Parfit, Principal AML SME at Feedsai. Welcome, Nick. How's it going? Hi, David. Nice to be here. Thank you very much. No worries at all. And for anybody who doesn't know Feedsai, uh, tell us a little bit about your organization and what Principal AML. What, what does that mean on a, on a business card? Yeah, well, essentially, I'm a subject matter expert for for Fiji. Um I started my career in uh, in the wonderful world of financial crime in around 2009, uh, and and haven't you, you mean in a good way, not in a bad way, right? You weren't you weren't the head of some sort of crime family. You were you were helping rather than hindering, right? Correct. No, not not a poacher turned gamekeeper or anything like that, unfortunately. Um, but no, so I got into the into this into this world around two thousand and nine, and haven't left since. It's a it's a fascinating area, um, never a dull day, and, and always huge opportunities. Um, I joined Feedsai about a year ago. Feedsai is a uh, Portuguese fintech company, um, started around twenty eleven with three founders. 
uh, really at the heart of our organization, we are a AI and machine learning driven company. Um, we started out in the fraud prevention uh, arena and recently moved more into the anti-money laundering capabilities uh, to serve as our risk ops vision. Um, so we, we currently, you know, protect around 900 million consumers worldwide so we can operate at real scale um, with some, you know, very well-known tier one organizations. Very, very cool. And thank you very much for, for joining us. We're also joined uh, for a FinTech Insider debut by Kate Jansen, who is the Senior Machine Learning PM over at Clio. Uh, welcome to the show, Kate. How are you doing? Hi, David. Yes, I'm doing very well. Thanks very much for having me. It's, uh, it's great to be here. No worries at all. Uh, same question. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know global audience, Clio, what's a Clio? Yeah, Clio is um, an AI uh, assistant uh, helping people to create a life beyond their paycheck and improve their overall, overall financial health. Um, we have some great fintech capabilities, but what's extra special about us is that we have a conversational AI where you can actually t uh, talk to Clio and she will provide you some excellent and personalized uh, spending recommendations and help you uh, kind of get towards a financially healthy state. Very, very cool. And um, uh, I mean, a, another really interesting job title on, on that senior machine learning PM. What does that feel like on a day to day basis? Yes, um, it's, uh, it's, uh, we're seeing a lot of new titles come into the world at the moment. Um, and so, yes, my, my title is a senior product manager and I deal with all of the machine learning and chat functionality at Clio. Um, and so what my job entails is to build a product that customers love that serve the business. And uh, the product that I'm particularly working on has machine learning at the core. Um, and so I kind of need to know what's going on in that world to understand what technologies and solutions exist uh, to solve some of our customer problems. Uh, so that's what I get up to on the day to day. Very, very cool. Envious. It sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, finally, uh, we have a return to FinTech Insider for Jason Maud, who is the Chief Technology Advocate over at Starling Bank. Welcome back to the show, Jason. How's it been? Uh, it's been very good. Thank you. I, I think the last time I was on, uh, it was pre-pandemic and uh, Starling Bank has changed a lot in the intervening time as it uh, always does. Yeah, as has the entirety of the world, I think, since then. We, we much uh, much simpler times, wasn't it? Well, not none of uh, none of all that stuff that happened. But anyway, we'll solve the pandemic uh, crisis uh, another time. We're going to be talking about AI, uh, and um, maybe if we get started with the, the the conversation, really looking at how we really see AI being used, uh, and and actually, I mean, as we said at the top of the show, I mean, it seems everybody, I think all of the people who were in crypto seems to have moved across to AI to be suddenly being some sort of, uh, you know, specialist. There's all sorts of things being uh, created and put out there as, uh, you know, the, the cheat sheets to this and the cheat sheets to that. But, but obviously, I mean, AI has been around for a while, right? You know, and uh, maybe... Kate, starting with you on that one, I mean, machine learning, machine learning has been in financial services for a long time, right? Yes, absolutely. It really has. Um, I worked as a data scientist before moving into product management in 2019. And um, yes, I would, machine learning has been around for a while. It's been used in banks and the fintechs for a long time. Um, and the machine learning I'm talking about here, I would say, is the kind of classical or traditional machine learning that um, has seen a lot of developments and has been used in a lot of organizations, um, definitely kind of since 2010, but sometimes even before that. Um, what's new all of a sudden and exciting is this explosion of generative AI uh, that came onto the scene around November last year where uh, OpenAI released ChatGPT and that went mainstream. And all of a sudden, my friends were talking to me about AI. And that was the big uh, realization 
validation for me that this was actually going to be um, a big event. And I think this is the the generative AI. That's the kind of ex the explosion that's happened. That's what people are talking about. But there's also been a bit of a um, a loss of memory around all of the the machine learning that actually has been around uh, to date. Um, so yeah, it's not it's not new. Put it that way. Generative AI is new though. Did you? Um, I mean, all three of you have been in the industry for for a little while and have worked in this space. I mean, does it does it annoy you a little bit? I mean, is it like uh, is it like you discovered this like indie bands that you really liked, and now and now they've gone pop and everybody knows about them? Because I mean, like you say, um, the idea that everybody now is sort of focusing so much on. Uh, you know, artificial intelligence. But I mean, to your point, Kate, I mean, AI is a very, very broad, uh, you know, church when it comes to covering different things. So, uh, I mean, Nick, maybe double click on that a little bit. I mean, when I say AI, what do you hear? What 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 does that mean to you? Well, you're right there. It is a very broad, broad church indeed. Um, when we talk about artificial intelligence or the AI capabilities, it's really around how do we better use algorithms within our processes and data and um, to look for patterns that, that humans can't can't spot to do that at scale, um, and and really to help as a really informative basis when it comes to pointing analysts in the right directions to, for example, investigate transactions that look suspicious, um, and nodes within payment networks that need to be investigated more thoroughly than others. So it's you know that that's where we look at using AI. But to Kay's point around the generative AI, there's this huge opportunity, which I'm sure we're going to come on to later, that, that it starts to become really exciting about you can do so much more with this technology than, than we've traditionally been, been using. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how the, uh, you know, how we square that self with the regulators where, to your point that, you know, this isn't new, but I don't think it's been wide, particularly widely adopted or particularly well implemented over, in the past, you know, due to the regulatory pressures around, you know, being able to prove the technology, prove the capability and, um, you know, all that goes with that from a risk perspective. Um, but I think we're making some real headways, which I'm sure we'll touch on. Yeah. And, and I mean, you touched there on uh, things like, you know, AML and, uh, you know, pattern recognition at a scale that, you know, humans just couldn't do. I mean, is that really the doing things at scale that humans can't really do? I mean, is that in a nutshell, the benefit of, of AI within financial services? Or uh, I think you, I think we can wrap up the podcast. I think you smashed that definition, quite frankly. But uh, it, do you think that's the, the core purpose in financial services? Yeah, I think we, we are dealing with vast amounts of data. Um, the challenges we've had right from the get-go with anti-money laundering and fraud in, to a lesser extent, but, but AML certainly is around the whole false positive rate. We've, we've never been short of generating alerts and you know, triggering on certain scenarios and having somebody to investigate all of that. But it's created so much noise in the system that it leads to massive uh, spending, um, huge amounts of infrastructure, very low productivity, Challenges when it comes to um, satisfaction in, in, in jobs and um, as being an analyst or what have you. Um, and so I see AI being able to, and machine learning to be able to sort through a lot of that and really you know, look at where the, the signal to noise ratio really lies and focusing in on that. Um, and then that produces a whole load of, uh, you know, a lot of benefits off the back of that. But, you know, with the amount of data, the, the plethora of new channels that we all interact with, it's just getting more and more and more and more um, information to be able to, to sort through and make intelligent decisions off the back of that. And, and criminals are getting more and more sophisticated, you, you know, with those techniques. 
And so we are in this sort of arms race um, of, uh, you know, the other side to AI and machine learning is how criminals are using it to defeat traditional systems that, that the banks are are implementing. And how do we stay on par with them when they're better funded and more nimble and, uh, <laughs> you know, generally more connected than, than we are in a financial institution? Yeah, I mean, criminals are pretty entrepreneurial, aren't they, in the, in the way in which they go about things in that sense. But I, I, I guess, Jason, I mean, is this a... We've seen a flurry of activity in other industries. We've seen a, a, you know, sort of a slow burn, should we say, in in terms of what uh, what the mainstream looks like for financial services in that space. But I mean, is that changing rapidly? Do you think? I, I think it uh, it is doing. I think that you know, financial services is always inherently more conservative with a small C than other industries, simply because it's dealing with people's money and it has to be, you know, ins- it has to ensure that the technologies it's using are going to actually uh, work. But I think that there is a real, like I'd like to echo and emphasize what Nick said, there is a real thing here about being able to track down bad actors in your network, uh, which has essentially been the internet's problem since the get-go. The internet allows you to create these vast networks that connect loads of people together. How do you stop people abusing those networks? That is the question. Uh, that is the question that has plagued everyone from Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and Google and, and you know, and, and now financial services, right? Trying to stop um, sanctioned individuals or criminals, of, you know, all various different stripes from abusing the financial uh, systems to do bad things, essentially. And AI is definitely uh, a tool that we can use to uh, start to crack that nut. I, I guess, um, I guess, why now? Uh, and, and this, you know, takes us off topic ever so slightly. But actually, banks have got a lot of stuff to worry about, right? You know, like actually, the world we live in, and uh, you know, all of the. I mean, I, I sort of posted something on LinkedIn recently where it's like, uh, you know, it's the typical sort of uh, guy girl looking over shoulder meme where it's like, you know, the you know, generative AI and like the reality of all of the crippling technology problems big incumbent banks have, and it's like we need to fix those but but is it is it that actually i mean i've spoken to two banks today who are just dying on their core banking system you know so so actually is it are we at a place where uh banks have embraced digital so quickly that their systems and their it's almost the um the uh the swan sort of metaphor even the iceberg you know we're we're in a situation where everything above it has this veneer of digital but the reality under the under the hood of many big organizations is so digitized of the analog world that there is still reams and reams and reams of paper reams and reams and reams of people you know managing these huge organizations in monolithic structures is it the case really that given that there's going to have to be a bit of a revolution in those those systems that if you're going to be doing it, you want to be adopting today's technology standards and artificial intelligence plays a, a, a large part in that. Uh, I appreciate that was a very long question, Kate, but what do you reckon? Is it, uh, hey, you start from today's standards or uh, rather than rather than it being the, the misty mountain in the future, right? Yeah, I'd love to get um, Jason's thoughts on this as well. Um, but I think that a good summary is that the companies that are starting today, the scale-ups and the startups, it's all about how quickly they can get uh, distribution uh, with 
because they have innovation on their side. Whereas the banks and the incumbents, they have distribution, uh, but they may struggle on the innovation side uh, to maybe just, you know, to various things. Jason, maybe you could speak to that. And I think that that's really the, the trade-off is that there's kind of like pros and cons to each side. Um, I think though at the moment, I think by the end of the decade, we are going to see two types of companies, like those that have AI at the core and are using it uh, in every single way and those that don't exist. And I think that that's really actually, uh, the, that's going to be the uh, step change that we're going to see. And this is not necessarily AI in the product, uh, that's true too, but it's also using AI to streamline and optimize your internal processes. Um, and that has, that's been around more than uh, kind of like AI in the product has, but that really will drive um, some efficiencies and optimizations. Um, and I think the, the race is on to see who can, yeah, like manage this trade-off between kind of like innovation and distribution um, between the, the smaller and the larger companies. 100%. Jason, what do you think? I, I, I always love um, when, when people, you know, we talk about like the innovation versus distribution and, you know, the small companies with the innovation and the, the large incumbents with the distribution. And then I have to go, and then there's Starling, um, you know, which doesn't really fit into any of these categories. Um, so we, we want to, we have always wanted to crack this trade-off and turn it into a not a trade-off, right? We've always wanted to do both at the same time and make them supportive of each other. Uh, make, you know, make the sort of big, strong, reliable, secure, da-da-da-da-da, fit with the nimble, agile, innovative, and have them be self-reinforcing rather than in conflict with one another. And I think that that's going to have to be something that is done more and more in the future. I completely agree with you, David, about the uh, the looking over the shoulder at the generative AI when you've got these crippling tech problems. You can't like, don't jump to generative AI when you have a server in the basement that is running COBOL, right? You know, get off that first. Like, you, like it's trying to manage a system where you have, like, code written in the 70s and 80s and then generative AI is the entirety of commercial software that has ever existed. It is essentially like having a steel and glass building that is connected to another steel and glass building by a stone bridge, right? It is, you're sitting there going, you cannot combine all of this technology in, in one place and expect it to work well, expect to be able to manage it, to be able to risk manage it well. Uh, you need to, you know, uh, walk before you run, right? You need to be able to update this. You also need to be able to update your culture. If you don't have a culture that can deal with the fast, rapid pace that all software technology demands, all software development at, uh, in this day and age demands, but especially things like AI, then honestly, just, you know, don't try to do it and outsource that where you need it to, uh, you know, where you need the functionality to another company that really can do it. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? That point of, well, uh, I mean, your three organizations have, have started from a different place. Therefore, your uh, your culture, your structure, your organizational, you know, the, the rhythms, the rituals, Jason, as you talk about in terms of sort of building building software is fundamentally different to to an incumbent. So it's a uh, it's an interesting challenge, but it is equally an interesting challenge of of not getting fixated on the the shiny thing for the sake of it being shiny. It's um, 
trying to stop my uh, kids uh, focusing on dessert and focusing on their broccoli, right? You know, it's uh, it's an interesting challenge to get those things right. But uh, m- maybe if we we delve a little bit more though on on the use cases, because I mean, there's there's a very uh, sort of all across this, you know, almost, you know, full spread of opportunities when it comes to, you know, broad AI. We're, we're talking about use cases that affect uh, the customer experience. Like you say, the the opportunities that generative AI can, can give to financial services organizations there. There's uh, opportunities all the way through the back-end infrastructure. Uh, as you, Nick, you talk about, you know, AML, the potential that that has and the, I mean, the knock-on effect that that has from an, uh, you know, an, an economy perspective, but I mean, the amount of money laundering that goes untouched uh, and the, you know, various different nefarious things that are done with that money. I mean, this has a, a much broader reach to to really transform how the financial system works and, and scales. So, uh, I mean, how how broken is that process? I know there's a lot of people who listen to this who love fintech, but probably don't get gigantic AML processes in banks. So, uh, I mean, that change is is quite revolutionary, isn't it? It, it is. Um, I think one of the, the challenges that we have in the anti-money laundering space is really good data that comes back from understanding whether or not the SARS or the suspicious activity reports that were filed to authorities actually were material. Um, you know, very often these go into a void. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of SARS filed on, a, on an annual basis, uh, probably in the UK alone. And, and banks don't tend to get a lot of good quality information back, which is very different to fraud. You know, So where you have machine learning and AI models, it's much easier to tune those models because you know you've got um, you know guaranteed fraud or, or not off the back of that. With, with AML, we, we, we struggle. We have to try and infer more. Um, so I think there's another you know, potential down the line when we start to have much better public-private partnerships and we, you know, can share data and intelligence between banks. And uh, that's starting to happen now in the UK. We, we've seen it in the likes of Holland um, and over in uh, Norway, and it is starting to to happen in the UK as well. So I think once we start to get that, we will uh, start to probably make some some real headway. Nevertheless, though, the the use of, you know, on a day-to-day basis, the use of AI to spot transactional patterns to, uh, to, to, I think, blend together, which is something that we talk about from a risk ops perspective, the use of, you know, fraud signals that also inform um, AML typologies, such as the, the use of mule accounts. You know, once, once criminals commit a fraud, they want to then make sure that they get the money into the system, and they can do that, you know, via, via, then mule network. So how do we use our real-time fraud detection systems that can pick up, um, you know, fraud typologies that then also inform AML um, and the use of AI then to look at the the broader network within the bank and where those those monies flow to. Um, and you know, I think we 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 are seeing some 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 big improvements um, already around that with the cap- you know, the capabilities that we have with our own algorithms as that we have from a proprietary perspective, but also the ones that are available in the marketplace. And and soon there'll be you know, the, the capability of chain, chaining those together. Do you, do you think um, in that regard then, do we end up in a, a net better position because of it? Because, I mean, you talked earlier on a little bit about the the sort of uh, arms race between the, you know, the good actors and the bad actors. Uh, as the, you know, the good actors become more sophisticated in spotting it, the the bad actors become more sophisticated in creating it, right? So, uh, are we in a are we in a 
better place, or or is this uh, you know the 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 nature of uh, of twenty four seven three six five you know digital banking for everything? Is this just a a part of of doing business in twenty twenty three and beyond? I I, th- I think it'll be challenging to ever stamp it out. I think what what the use of technology is doing is it really enables us to better focus our resources, time, and effort on on areas that are much more significant than others, whereas. Before we've had a more traditional blanket approach of, of treating most, you know, a lot of risks sort of equally. Whereas now, with you know, through these detection patterns uh, of behaviour, we can focus, you know, analysts on on those, uh, you know, those typologies or those risk signals that um, are, you know, m- much more significant than others. So. It, it's it's another tool in the armory of how do we deal with huge amounts of data and ever and ever increasing sophistication of of, uh, of fraudsters and, and and money launderers, but it's really the coming together of the the fraud and the and the money laundering side of the equation I think which um, you know the technologies have the best opportunity to to you know to really reap the, the benefits of that without having to employ huge amounts of additional you know over, more people to do that yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I think uh, you know AML is one good example, but I think there's I think there's you know an absolute plethora in the back office of you know standardizations and structures and the the creation of uh, algorithms to to manage and match those things. I guess the thing everybody's always scared of, Kate, is like the computer stealing our jobs type vibe that kind of goes with the uh, you know the tabloid sort of headlines that sort of roll out with these things. But uh, what do you think? Are, are we seeing a shift? I mean, obviously, I mean, I'd say, you know, particularly Nick and Kate, your your job titles probably wouldn't have existed like uh, six to seven years ago, right? Uh, but equally, I'd say, you know, product managers wouldn't have existed six or seven years ago. It's sort of a, it's an evolution of what really matters to the industry and therefore opportunities are created. But are you seeing a shift in the market as well? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, to your first point, um, there will... Th- the the rise of, of generative AI and AI in general is an enabling technology, and it, it is significant. It is something I've um, that is uh, been likened or has been likened to uh, the mobile revolution, for example. Like this will change how organizations work from here onwards, and off the back of that, there will be changes in the kind of roles that are required in those organizations. Roles will change. Um, I think that. Uh, even people that are at the heart of it, like data scientists, software engineers, machine learning engineers, those roles will evolve over time as new tools come in and look to um, augment people, definitely initially look to augment people and then potentially, um, uh, you know, are become better than people at those particular tasks. I think that it is uh, very difficult to automate a person away. Um, and at the moment, and I would say kind of in the short to medium term, I definitely envision a more kind of human augmented future uh, where people can collaborate with tools in order to help them do their job better. Um, but uh, to your point, there has been many different titles, like not not, not even in technology, uh, that have been created in the past decade. Think of like social media manager, Discord community channels. The way that people interact with technology changes um, and will continue to change over time as the, the pace of its technology and its change and its change really accelerates. Um, so the market is changing. I think that there are many um, organizations, whether new or old, out there that are looking to hire in a specific kind of skill set. Uh, in the AI space a couple of years ago, computer vision was really what people were uh, were hiring for. And now the pendulum has swung, kind of natural language uh, engineers or NLP engineers are really, really in demand at the moment. 
Uh, it's very hard to say whether these trends are going to exist kind of forever or they're just in the, in the spotlight at the moment. Um, so, yeah, the market is changing and I think people um, adapt and move into those spaces. Um, we're definitely seeing that in, in tech. and but But I don't think it's a new thing. I think that actually this has happened always. Right now it feels so new and I think that there is mass kind of media and access to information and terrifying media headlines that really drive a lot of fear. Um, it's not to say that this actually hasn't happened in the past. We've been through a couple of revolutions, industrial real air revolutions before. Um, yeah, so it feels very new. I would say that humanity has been through this many times before. I'm still waiting for the Isaac Asimov uh, robot psychiatrist to uh, come along as a job title. Uh, you never know. It's uh, it can't be too far away. I feel like um, I feel like there's probably lots of Futurama references in there as well to uh, to, to sort of play by. But uh, I, I mean, I, I guess one thing we sort of found with any of the sort of you know shifts that we've seen either positive or negative within financial services, it's generally spurred by the regulators, uh, you know, uh, adoption or otherwise uh, of these things. I mean, Jason, that I mean that's quite an interesting and complex problem. I know, I think I spoke about this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, but I was talking with my chairman who used to be the CEO of uh, Aviva. And he was like, yeah, the regulator wanted to see every pop-up the first time we did pop-ups because, you know, it was paramount to understanding the end-to-end experience. I mean, when you're, you're uh, particularly when we're talking about front-end interfaces here in generative AI, I mean, it's hard to do that when actually, you know, the, the, uh, the algorithm in itself is predicting and therefore developing its its you know its words in the same way as we do you know so uh, i mean how how progressive does the regulator really need to be in this space in order to allow the uh, the space for innovation really uh, to reach its potential yeah the regulator really needs to work out what the the risks of ai are and like, and specifically, like you know, with the uh, the the FCA, the risks to the consumer. You know, what's the what what are the problems the consumer could face, and then work out how how best to control those. Now, that's going to be very different to how they have um, done things in the past, because it's much more difficult to ask why did this um, you know machine learning model give this answer. Right, you could answer it in. A certain ways, but but a lot of the times the answer is a lot more probabilistic, or you know the answer is a lot more. It was made up of these thirty different factors that we fed in, which you know each contributed a small percentage to the overall um, the overall pattern. So you've you've got that you've got to be able to come up with an answer that be able that is able to translate that uh, to a consumer or a layperson and say, well, this is why this happened. I think a lot of it is going to be around the regulator insisting that these uh, machine learning models are well documented and understood and explainable and produce outputs that you can say, well, this is why it went in this direction. These are the sort of factors that influenced its thinking and its decision making. But it's a lot more akin to trying to explain how a human made a decision. You know, it's not quite that level yet, but, you know, it is moving more in that direction. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be fascinating, isn't it? Because on that point, I mean, the differentiation between, you know, IFAs and just 
you know, some bloke in the pub is, is uh, you know, the qualification to to give advice, you know, and the, the definitions of advice and the definitions of guidance for with regards to the FCA's perspective is is quite stark, isn't it, in terms of what they do? I mean, that's going to be a, a fascinating space to see how it evolves and and actually what that means to give advice in, in that context. But uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit more after the break. I'm going to take a quick pause. We'll be back with you shortly. Hello and welcome, LFG people, to Fintech Insider. Watching Insider, 11FS Spotlight. 11FS Explores. Open mic night. After dark. Through our podcasts, videos, newsletters, and live events, we have a direct line to a truly global fintech community. So if you're looking to sponsor and collaborate on content that connects with everybody from fintech beginners to the biggest VCs, then chat to our team at sponsors at 11fs.com or visit 11fs.com to find out more. Long live the community. All right, so maybe if we stand back then a little bit, you know, we've looked at the opportunities, we've looked at the challenges. Maybe uh, let's move on to the areas where we feel that AI will not be taking over. Because maybe I, I think it's almost, uh, you always sort of think about the shortest list in, in that sense. But uh, I mean, where do you see the the advantage of humans in in, in the future? And, uh, uh, you know, Jason, I don't want to go back to the, the sci-fi dystopian, we're all going to be, you know, like it's Wally and... That sounds like fun, actually, sitting by the pool and just watching whatever I want to watch. That sounds great. But, but but in the world of financial services that we're sort of hurtling towards in that 24-7 world, I mean, what's the advantage of humans? Uh, sure. So um, obviously the regulator is going to require and customers are going to want and industries are going to want humans to take overall responsibility. We can't just point at the machine and say the machine said so. So there's always going to be need for humans. One place that Interestingly, I think that humans are still going to be very prominent is in the call center. Uh, when people ring up and, you know, try and uh, get through to someone to talk about the, uh, the, the, the problem they're having with their, their bank account or other financial service. Most of the time, people actually want to speak to a human if they want to speak to someone. They don't want to speak to a machine. Um, and one thing that humans can do that machines really can't at the moment is process the emotional load uh, that human beings have when they're frustrated because something's gone wrong and they're having a bad day. They do actually want a human being on the other end of the phone. So I think despite the fact that people are going and running around and saying, well, we need a chatbot here, a chatbot there, and so on and so on. Actually, one of the places you're going to see a lot of human beings still exist is in that area. Um, I think that the jobs that are going to be, you know, most changed by AI is anything that involves large quantities of data, analyzing large quantities of data. That that sort of job is going to be greatly changed by AI because it is ripe for, you know, various different models to come in and enhance uh, what human beings are already doing. Yeah, I guess it um, points back to what you were saying, Kate, as well. It's like the almost that safety net, uh, as Jason was sort of uh, suggesting uh, around the digital services is is really where that advantage comes in? Yeah, I think, yeah, to maybe extrapolate a little bit on that, I think that it's useful to think about if we think about generative AI specifically, like what is it actually inherently good at doing? Um, 
it's very good at content generation. That's exactly what it is. It's generative and nature is able to generate new forms of content, whether it's in text, images, videos, or audio. And so when you think, when you take that capability and you layer it on and think about, okay, like whose work is going to change? It's people who are generating content. Um, as I mentioned earlier, I think that augmenting uh, your, uh, these tools um, with humans is a great way to start, but this is inherently the capability of the technology. Um, and the second piece is uh, representation, especially in the tech space, uh, large language models do a really good job of text, uh, textual representation and making that so that it's um, much more digestible for people. So whether that's summarizing it or having a question answering set up, um, that's something that uh, AI can do very well. And so if your job is about taking large amounts of, say, textual data and representing it in a way for somebody else to consume, I think that you can imagine that that space um, will be um, a like kind of ripe for disruption uh, because AI, generative AI, is very good. Um, but to your original question around like where do we still need humans, it's really important to recognize that none of the generative AI that exists today has a value system. It doesn't have a value or ethical system. We really and desperately need humans to remain in the loop uh, wherever a value uh, judgment needs to take place. Um, and that happens all throughout organizations. So Let's not forget that. It may feel that the algorithms know everything or that they're very smart, but they've been likened to, you know, very, very smart seven-year-olds like who have very, very high IQ. Um, and to Jason's original point, not a lot of e not a lot of EQ. And we cannot replace that uh, anytime soon. Yeah, I think that's fair. I've got a pretty bright nine-year-old. I'm not going to let him make financial decisions for me just yet, you know. So, uh, uh, but um, uh, He's been a drain on my finances enough lately, actually. So thinking about it, I'm definitely not going to be doing that. Um, I mean, it's a it is an interesting sort of uh, point on that, which is uh, do the general public, and therefore, if I'm honest with you, you know, going back to the point that we're making about uh, big financial organisations, uh, do they make 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 assumptions based on headlines and sci-fi movies? Because um, is this a kind of an expansion of the the need? You know, we talk about replacing humans, but they're not going to replace people sitting on boards of, of big incumbent organizations, the need to continually educate yourself to what these things are and and why they matter. And and actually the the hard skills versus the soft skills in that space, you know, what sort of comes about in that. I mean, Kate, to the points we were making earlier on, it feels like this is a, a continuization, continuization? That doesn't sound like a word, but let's go with it, uh, of, of a trend of the shift towards technology being at the forefront of uh, of banking rather than uh, underpinning it uh, with COBOL, as, as Jason was referred to earlier on. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it comes um, it comes down, to, a lot of it comes down to when the organization was started and what technologies it had uh, available to itself then. And I think the, the companies that start now have this um, kind of step up or this leg up uh, in that they're able to just kind of start from scratch and use the best technologies that are available to them, move fast um, and not have legacy systems that can hold them back. Um, but yeah, it's not to say that it's easy and it's not to say that uh, they will face uh, different challenges to uh, the incumbents that need to adopt this technology. All of us are actually still figuring out the limitations of this technology, like where it can be used and when it can't be used. And I think what I've seen over the year, as, as many organizations have seeked to adopt this technology, the overall summary that I could say generally is that I think people have found that it's very easy to build a quick demo or prototype it's really hard to build a scalable, robust, safe, 
machine learning system. And I don't think that anybody has really like cracked that as yet besides some of the top players. And I think that that's a challenge that all of us, uh, that all of us still face. Uh, we're still figuring out the limitations. There's a lot of emergent behavior that comes out of these models as well. That's surprising to a lot of people. And that can be quite scary for people that don't understand why that's the case when it's unexpected behavior. Um, and to your point on uh, the headlines, I think that the media is kind of doing us a disservice by throwing out a lot of these clickbaity titles, particularly around replacing humans, where I think there needs to be a little bit of more time spent understanding what this actually means. Uh, to Jason's point earlier, a lot of companies or a lot of people are worried that uh, customer service centers will just be eradicated in the future. If you, anybody's like spoken with a chatbot, I think it's quite, it's an easy um, conclusion to come to that it's quite a large leap that we need to make from today's chatbots to a fully functioning uh, AI first uh, customer service team. Not to say that we can't help the customer service agents get through a lot more queries and answer a lot more customer queries. So we face a lot of challenges. I think the media might be throwing some fuel onto the fire at the same time. Education around how it can help your company and yourself is, is massive. And I think that there should be a lot more content on those topics. Yeah. It's a, it's always the frame of reference, isn't it? The decisions that people are making, you know, are based on the industry that they've grown up in or been successful in. And, and that becomes a challenge sometimes for thinking in different ways. But uh, I mean, Nick, I, I guess coming to you on the, the money laundering side of things, I mean, there's uh, there's been checks all the way through uh, history for money laundering, you know, the, the four eyes check first, you know, making sure that people are doing what people should be doing. But I guess the, the way in which we sample machine learning or the putting the checks and balances on uh, algorithms, finding uh, errors is is similar, isn't it? It's got to be a, a similar to... Um, you know, checking the pH in a swimming pool, you've got to be doing it regularly and, and adjusting regularly to, to make sure you're getting the outcome that you want. It's a good analogy. I wonder if it's a bit like actually taking all the water out of the swimming pool, testing it, you know, then putting all the water back in, testing it again and doing that on kind of like on a weekly basis. The, because it, Sounds like somebody's it, had quite a hard week at work, really, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, well, when, <laughs> get it off your chest. When, when I consider, you know, the, the work that we do with our clients who do all have a, a real appetite to want to do things with, AI and, and machine learning. And even when we look at relatively straightforward aspects of machine learning when it comes to things like alert prioritization for transaction monitoring, the, the model and the tuning and training of that model and the governance processes that need to go in place around that, uh, the stakeholder engagement's massive. You know, we touched on, I think Jason and both Kate touched on explainability of these models. You know, you need to be able to say why a decision or a score was was produced uh, and for what reasons. And trying to have that for internal audit to consume, compliance to consume and understand the business and the regulator becomes a really difficult job, which takes an awful lot, an awful lot of time to, to be able to do that. Um, the governance frameworks themselves are, are are very arduous. You've got to get it through model management uh, and and verification processes. The regulator is quite quite quiet on all of this in terms of being prescriptive. Um, I mean, recently Wolfsburg came out with with five principles for AI, machine learning, and financial crime. Um, and then we open up the the thoughts around you know fairness and bias of models as well. And suddenly you've got another kind of very nuanced uh, aspect to to how these um, models behave and the decisions that are made. So there's a lot of considerations to be taken into account, which means I think, you know, humans aren't going to be replaced anytime soon um, either. 
Um, but I think that, you know, the real opportunity, though, is to allow, you know, is to, is, I think I said right at the beginning, is to kind of reduce a lot of the noise in the system and allow humans to focus on what is material and what's important rather than just dealing with, with non-material alerts that, that, that keep coming through. Um, and then finally, I mean, just the other, the other aspect, we, we recently did a global um, AML survey uh, and, and actually one of the questions around the use of AI within anti-money laundering programs and, you know, how, will, uh, how, how do we see that as, you know, being um, a, a pivotal change for, for organizations? And, and really only, you know, it was positive, but only 51% really saw AI as being the key to the future of AML programs. Uh, and I think that a lot to do with the fact that there's a huge amount of hype. Uh, certainly, you know, the media loves to 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 hype it up as well. But the reality of getting this uh, in, implemented and running, um, uh, you know, effectively and efficiently, we we have massive challenges yet to overcome with that. But that's not to say that the uh, the opportunities are not there. It, it is a it is truly a fascinating topic, isn't it? I, I think we could probably speak for another five hours on this and. Uh, there's almost infinite use cases that you could you could dwell on, uh, and that's sort of the point, really, isn't it? In terms of the opportunities ahead of us for for this, um, personally, I, I really believe in a future of financial services that is much more um, automated. Uh, I, I really do believe that actually we've gone from a, a point of uh, very good services that humans were very heavily involved in to to a sort of a self service state where we're at today, which actually it's kind of the worst of both worlds for for many people, you know, particularly if you're, uh, you know, anybody from any sort of fringe, then actually it becomes increasingly more difficult to to understand financial terms. The, the idea that uh, whether it's generative AI or whether it's more into the back office for, uh, you know, algorithmic banking, that actually services could be much more heavily geared towards individuals and their understanding of financial services or or even automated in order to make people better off that is a that is a definitely a world that i think is worth building because um you know as we say often on this podcast none of us wake up and you know open our phones with glee to do our banking um and if our banking you know if our money could work a little bit harder for for us, rather than the other way around, it, it probably will lead to much better outcomes for, for customers. So, I, I mean, Jason, do you think, I mean, AI in a broad topic, but then open banking and access to data and the improvements that we've seen in, you know, core infrastructure and core architecture, all of this is sort of gearing towards a, a quite different world when it comes to financial services? Oh, yes, absolutely. I think that there is... Uh, we are moving into a landscape where the technology behind financial services is going to become increasingly complex, right? Increasingly um, more difficult to maintain at a, you know a good rate at, at scale and so on. Especially when you start bringing in more complex technologies like AI um, and then others that will appear in the future. And I think that a lot of uh, financial institutions are going to need to choose. Well, all all of them are going to need to choose whether or not technology is a core competency of theirs. So Starling Bank has chosen that technology is our a core competency of ours, right? We have made that decision and we have built an organization uh, that reflects that choice. Um, now, it's fine if your uh, organization doesn't want to choose technology as a core competency, 
but then what you're saying is that you're going to outsource your um, uh, your systems, the, the creation of your, your systems and so on to other firms that do have that as a core competency. And that's part of why Starling Bank has now moved into selling its underlying core banking platform to the world through Engine. Uh, that's, you know, what we're, we're doing with that is taking that technology core competency and offering it to other banks who may want to choose a different path. Um, either is fine, but I think the sort of halfway house where you go, oh yeah, we, we sort of do some things in house ish a little bit, but there's, you know, servers in the basement running COBOL, et cetera, isn't going to be a viable strategy. And I think that at some point the regulator will say it's not a viable strategy. Um, you know, it's it's too risky for uh, for your firm to adopt that. I think there's a, a number of banks uh, over the last five years that have stood up at big conferences and their CEO has declared that they're technology businesses when they are not. Uh, you know, it's a, they're a long way away from from what that is. And that's that's no, uh, you know, that's not me, you know, casting aspersions, but actually almost a, a push to embrace what that really means. And I think that goes back to your point around just the basics of how software gets built. Um, and it is a difficult one, Jason. I, th- I think there are sort of systems of differentiation and uh, and systems that can be commoditized. Um, but definitely, I think almost any organization that starts to to sort of outsource its intelligence is, is probably in a, a difficult place in, in that way. But um, I, I guess maybe standing back from this, because, I mean, we're going to have to wrap up pretty pretty quickly. Uh, producer Laura is like, one last question, we need to get on. So, but, but actually... I guess there are to all of those headlines that we read, to all of the, you know, the computers are stealing our jobs vibe. I mean, what would your advice be to to somebody uh, about their future career listening to this? Because uh, there's plenty of people who are like, well, how do I get into fintech? What jobs do I want to do? Uh, I mean, Kate, maybe starting with you, you've got a, a great job at a great firm doing this. What would be your advice to to get into this space? Yeah, I think that there's two things that I would say. One Take a step back from the negative media headlines, which are often negative so that you click on them because you're terrified, and really start to like think about the positive aspects that machine learning and, and AI is going to bring. There is a real possibility that it could be one of a couple exponential technologies that could really help us create abundance in the world. One of the great themes that we're seeing with AI is personalization. Um, and um, and as a result, we're able to offer better financial services to customers who really have like a deep understanding of their financial situation. So I would say, take a step back, realize that there is change coming. There is no doubt about that. That can be scary, but there's also massive opportunity that is coming and there are new roles available out there. Subject matter experts being one of them. Nick really um, mentioned that he's one of them. We need people that deeply know their domain in order to help build these systems. Those people are not going to be replaced. They will help build the systems and make excellent systems to serve customers at scale in a hyper-personalized fashion. So I would say, think about that. If you have a deep set of skills, you probably can help build these systems. Um, at Clear, for example, we have a team of copywriters and uh, comedy writers that help us actually create a conversational interface that we use with our customers. And then the second piece would be uh, to enable yourself. Take a deep breath and dive into the tools that are out there. Go make images, use ChatGPT, see how these tools can really augment your own personal life. I use it a bunch, and I think that that will kind of start to demystify it, and you'll be able to see the potential and the possibility where these tools uh, can uh, exist. So yeah, that would be my two pieces of advice. 
Very exciting. Very exciting. Nick, what do you reckon? Uh, what would be the advice for somebody getting into, uh, other than, uh, you know, working for a crime family for a couple of years, then, uh, I mean, if you want to change the game, you've got to understand it, right? So, but uh, what do you think? Certainly. Um, yeah, gosh. I think, you know, be, be really interested in, in a subject that you enjoy. Um, I mean, I do, I do enjoy financial crime compliance, you know, there's, because it is, it's, it's a fascinating topic and, and it has real uh, real impacts to society that, that we need to shift in, in our favor and away from, away from the criminals. Um, and it touches on so many areas from tax evasion to human trafficking to, to, to drugs. Um, and, you know, that, that is a, that is a real challenge. Um, I think the, certainly the, the use of technology, don't we, we, we live in the most fascinating time ever. I thought it used to think it was great when you could just go on YouTube and type in, you know, how to operate your new camera or your new phone or watch or what have you. And all those tutorials came up now with, 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 with chat GPT and, and other, um, you know, large language model capabilities out there. Um, it can write code for you. You know, li- literally, you know, the, the use cases are un- unlimited from a personal perspective. So embrace it. It can, it can, you know, really help you to improve your understanding of your of your job, where you want to go, shortcut things, and, and make things more more entertaining and fun. It's it's uh, again, it's about it's about using technology to reduce the mundane, boring aspects of of a role to allow you to focus on the things that you find interesting, um, and you can really refocus really your time and energy on. Sounds good. Focus on the fun bits. I mean, Jason, you've been in the the technology space for for a while, and uh, actually, you know, you've seen various different sort of evolutionary points of that. Uh, what would be your advice for for somebody getting into this space? Um, I remember, like, when I did this is revealing my age now, but when I did work experience as a kid back in the nineties, um, I was working at an accountancy firm, and they there, there were people there. I, remember who didn't fully really understand how to use Microsoft Word and Microsoft Excel. Now that sounds ridiculous now, but back then, yeah, sure. You know, it's, 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 it's only been around for a few years. So maybe, you know, maybe you don't know how to use it. Nowadays, we find it ridiculous if we had anyone in finance who said, what's Excel? I don't know how to use that. Right. You know, it would be ridiculous. The same thing is going to happen with AI and machine learning models. The idea that you wouldn't really be able to, you know, you'd be able to work in a data heavy industry like finance without really understanding AI and machine learning models and how they work and what they do, at least to some extent, um, would be ridiculous, right? So you, you know, we're going to really need to have, um, people who have have this as a sort of, as a skill. And that doesn't mean that you need to be able to, you know, be a, a, be, have a PhD in data science and really understand the ins and outs of it, but understanding how these models work generally, what they do, how to explain them, um, uh, you know, what their, their, their strengths and weaknesses are and where they can fall over and make mistakes. That's going to be really important, um, at a base level for doing any job in any sort of uh, data heavy industry in the future. Yeah. I mean, it is fascinating having, uh, come through, a uh, software and hardware engineering background my, myself. I mean, the, the thing that I kind of found is gravitating towards the, 
the customer's problems you're solving allows people to really unlock their passion for doing it. And uh, I think the thing that comes across from all three of you really is the the passion for the problems that you're solving in the industry uh, is really, really significant. And that's what uh, that's what keeps you going every day in that sense, isn't it? But uh, well, thank you so much for, for joining us, guys. Uh, sadly, that does wrap up today's discussion. So uh, where can people learn a little bit more about you and the companies that you're representing? Uh, Nick, starting with you. Uh, just simply go to feedseye.com. You'll have it. You'll be able to see everything you need there. Look me up on LinkedIn as well. Fantastic. Jason? Uh, search for Starling Bank um, uh, in the on Google or in the App Store. Um, and uh, and uh, go and look at Engine as well. Engine by Starling Bank if you want to learn more about that. Very, very cool. Kate? Yeah. Uh, for more information on Clio, you can... Uh, type in meetclear.com or uh, Google us. Uh, if you're in the US, you can download our app um, and you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, Kate Jansen. Very cool. As for me, I'm pretty much lurking only on LinkedIn these days. I've sort of given up the whole X thing. It's confusing and I'm not really sure what Musk's trying to do there. So uh, find me find me over on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening. If you do like what you've heard, follow the podcast and don't forget to leave us a review. It super duper helps other people find the show and helps us make it better as well. As always, if you want to join the conversation, you can find us on every social media channel at this stage. Just search for 11FS or Fintech Insider. Or if you really want to, email us on podcasts at 11FS.com. Thank you for listening, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.